0: Thanks for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church, Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.ku.k. We're going to be continuing our series on 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to this church at Corinth. But before we do that, I, I felt just pressed to set the scene um, from the Old Testament, a verse from the book of Joshua Joshua, where God's people had been led by Moses out of Egypt into God's promised land for them, Canaan, which is Israel as we know now, and it was God's destiny for them because it was a good land, yeah, Um, it was a good land and and Joshua um, who'd been with Moses on the journey, he... He said this to the people in, in Joshua chapter 3. They about to cross over the River Jordan. It was a momentous moment for them. He said this, Jesus told the people, in verse 5, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now I could just preach on that right now. Because there's something in that verse that releases a secret to us. That it's up to us to consecrate ourselves. In John 17, Jesus said, Father, I consecrate myself to you. The Lord says, be holy for I am holy. Holiness is, it's not wearing black suits and a big black Bible and looking miserable. That's not holiness. Holiness. It's not holiness. Jesus was the holy one and he was full of joy that when his disciples came back from healing the sick and casting out demons, he did a little jig. If he'd been Irish, he would have done a really big jig. (laughs) He he said the literal translation of that, Jesus jumped for joy. So don't think that holiness is miserable. Holiness... Sanctification, it means being totally set set apart. God, you have everything in my life. There's nothing I'm holding back from you. I give myself to you. And so Joshua here, right at the beginning, he's saying to the people, now, you've got to consecrate yourself because you're crossing over into destiny. Destiny. And it wasn't just an, it was a corporate thing, but individually owned. And in doing this, each of you consecrating yourselves fully to the Lord, as we cross over, God is going to do wondrous things amongst you. They didn't know there was a walled city called Jericho. They didn't know that. But God did, and through the Spirit he said to Joshua, tell the people this because I'm going to do wondrous things amongst them, supernatural things amongst them, but for that to happen, they've got to be wholly dedicated to me, corporately and individually. So at the outset, I just want to put that backdrop there, that it's up to you and I to consecrate ourselves. God can't do that for you. It's a decision of the will to say, I want you more than anything else in my life. You can have it all. God. And so we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read from the Message Bible, and I'm not going to read all of it, because it's such a, a rich chapter, it would take me to preach four hours, and I wouldn't do justice to it, and you'd be bored, and the chicken would burn in the oven. So I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to read the first seven verses out of the Message Bible from 1 Corinthians Now, we have to recognise that Paul is responding to questions that had been raised and written and sent to him about being a Christian in a very immoral city, a godless world. How do you do the Christian life with all this going around you? We want to be holy. Paul, what do we do? And so he writes this. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sex drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilled, fulfilling sex life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife. The wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve one another, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then you come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I am not understand commanding those periods of, ab- of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you choose them. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways, but celebracy is not for everyone any more than marriages. God gives the gift of a single life to some and the gift of a married life to others. And I heard Mike Pilavashu say, Say once that God gives you the gift of a single life until you 're married if that 's your call to be married, so you don 't live with a sense of i 'm not married or I was married and now i 'm a widow and life 's always sad. there is a gift that God gives To us and empowering that God gives to us, and whatever stage of life we're at, whether we're single, married, divorced, widowed, grieving, there is always grace because God gives us grace at our time of need. So, there is grace for each one of us, and it's a gift of grace. There is a gift of grace for you, whether you're married or single, there's a gift of supernatural grace that God wants you to enjoy and be fulfilled, at that season of the life in which you are in. Not be always wistful, looking forward or looking back to what might or what could have been. There is grace. There's a gift of grace. I think that's very important because the enemy of our souls would love to have us sidelined because of um, being miserable or being wistful. We become and productive in his kingdom, and, and, and God, no, 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 he wants you to keep going for him, be living a radical life for him, no matter what stage or circumstance of life you're in. There's a gift for that. So here we go. I must admit, I, I think I, um, I, 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 I put my name down for this one, and um, I didn't realise what a challenging... Chapter it is, and um, I'm only going to preach on the first seven chapters, seven verses rather, not seven chapters. You are relieved. <laughs> but Because I, I wouldn't have a clue to say some of the stuff on the rest of it, so I'll just stick with what I feel comfortable with, being honest with you. No, um, okay, but there's a question here. Why would the Corinthian Christians suggest complete celibacy? Which is what they meant by the phrase, should a man not touch a a woman? It was a euphemism. They probably figured out that if sexual immorality was such a danger, then one could be more pure by abstaining from sex altogether, even in marriage. A kind of rigid and frigid for Jesus. And don't just at the outset. Don't think always because people think the man's got the they've got the testosterone and the greater sex drive, and I think most probably that is true. Um, but don't always expect or assume that, that the man always has the bigger sex drive. I, I, in my pastoral ministry over the years, I, I, I've met men who uh, who the, the problem is is they the the wives want to have sex more than they than the husbands do, and. Uh, I know some of you guys are really jealous just hearing that, but but that can be the reality. There's tiredness, work pressures. So it's very relevant here that Paul is speaking to humanity, really. So what do these verses mean? Well, it means what every man hopes it means. For many men, this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. It's a duty and a delight it's a one job that we want to put overtime in. But before we get too carried away, I want to, us to notice a, a number of things. First, Paul begins by addressing husbands. He says it is the husband's duty to fulfil his wife. So Paul here is under the anointing of God. He's saying that God wants wives in a marriage context be, to be successful sexually fulfilled and that is possible even if there's been abuse in the past it's possible by the grace of God and it will require great tenderness from the husband to help the wife in that but it's not God's will that within marriage people should be sexually frustrated because it's a gift it's a good gift from God you know it may shock you but sex was created by God and one day it will pass away. There will be no more sex. Something better will supersede it. Right? I know you think that might be difficult, some of you, to embrace. But it will. It's, it will pass away. But God has something even better for intimacy designed in heaven than sexual intimacy. But that's the nearest thing in God's design to illustrate the sheer beauty and the wonderment of intimacy with God. That climactic thing. That will be a shadow of what it's going to be really like when we meet Jesus as his bride-to-be. So husband, Paul says, you must fulfil your wife. This doesn't mean just sex. That's where communication comes in. The husband is responsible for facilitating communication with his wife, not from his man cave either. You know, men can go into their man cave and just... <clears throat> men can be very uncommunicative at times. Um, and ladies, I just say, it, it means it's okay to tell your husband how you can minister to him. I'm using a, a, a euphemism here. right? This is very practical stuff. I came to church today, it's my first time here and you're speaking about this. Yeah, it's in the Bible, right? Read Song of Solomon. That's about a man's love for a woman, a woman's love for a man. It's there, okay? God's word. God created it, he'll speak into it. How we can use his gifts wisely. But a note of caution here. For men, there is a real danger of separating the act of sex from the biblical call that a husband should love his wife. I've heard of a number of guys over the years who can't seem to grasp that making love to their wives is not about their need being met, but meeting her need. And at that point, the lady should say, preach it, brother. To feel unconditionally loved and valued and to experience intimacy when a woman is at her most vulnerable, naked and ashamed. That's a unique thing that the world has cheapened. Now, some men think that making, the process of making love to their wife on a Friday night is just pouring a glass of wine out, right? If you talk to any woman, a married woman, will say, if you want to have a great time with me Friday night, You start Monday morning, the week before. For a start, you can put out the rubbish. You can do the washing up. Have that tender touch on the side. Because I'm your wife seven days a week, not just on a Friday night. It's called a love languages. Has anybody heard of the love languages? It's quite famous now. Um, It's been identified that we all have different love languages that we really connect to. We understand. Um, There are mainly five Love languages as words of affirmation. That will press some people's button, right? I just need words of affirmation. Others, it's an act of service, right? Um, Helping around the house. Helping with the kids. Another one is receiving gifts. Be nice to take me shopping sometime. Another one is quality time. Give me quality time. I want you. I want time with you not just in, you in me in front of the telly and you on front of your iphone and a computer and just twittering away or whatever you do i want you i want your attention that's a language of love that says something of value i value you more than this and there is a danger i tell you this now there is a danger of modern couples sitting in a lounge together both both on the computers talking or one's on the computer talking, another one's watching the TV. Right? If you're going to watch Downton Abbey with your wife, fellas, don't have your laptop or iPad on at the same time. Enter into her world. Or, wives, if, you're like, if your husband likes Downton Abbey, enter into his world and pray for him. <laughs> Physical touch that's important. Um, very, very important. That you, just that tenderness, that, that touch, just on the shoulder, on the back. Just It doesn't have to be sexual. These are, this is the languages of love that help build a great marriage. Now, we've, we've, we've done marriage courses here, and Sue and I, um, we worked out our marriages. Um, our, our, not marriages, we're still working that out, as you do. Uh, but we, we worked out our love languages in a certain season of our life. And Yeah, I know that's what Sue appreciates, and she knows what I appreciate, and um, with men it's normally physical touch, that's always, that's always the think with men normally, um, or receiving gifts is pretty good, um, fishing rods and stuff like that. Um, we, did this, we did this marriage course refresher, and we were just helping it, and, and while everybody else was involved working out what their love languages was, I said to Sue, well let's do it anyway, you know, to be a part of it, and we, we did it all, and uh, We came back and I said, what's your love language? And she said, well, my love language is quality time. I thought, oh, well, you've changed because it was acts of service. And we found out that both our love languages had changed within the last five years. That's interesting because marriage is dynamic. It's never static. We need to keep communicating, if you are married, with your wives and husbands to to make sure that we're, we're scratching where it's itching. And knowing that the Father's love has been poured out to us, that we are accepted for who we are, should really help overcome insecurities that can pl- plague the marriage bed. You know, does my bum look buggy in this sort of thing? Well, Adam never had that question thrown to him. <laughs> I'm ashamed of my body. God's not ashamed of your body. He created it. I feel so embarrassed. Hey, God says, I love you, my daughter. I love you, my son. I always love you. As your body changes, my love for you doesn't. And as we know the Father's love, as we're getting older, it keeps that security within marriage. Does that make sense to you? Mark Gungar. Um, If you ever want a fun evening, watch Mark Gungar on Laugh Your Way to Happy Marriage um, YouTube. Gungar, G-U-N-G-A-R, very good. He said this, marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out of bed. The only love languages that some guys have is down to a phrase. Are you awake yet? That's not a love language. That's just selfishness. Now Paul goes on about abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and if it's only for the purpose of prayer and fasting but only for such times. I think we never talk about this and I've never met ever a couple of come to us and say we're we're not having sex at the moment because we want to pray and fast more and seek God. I've never had that happen so please if you want to this is all scriptures inspired. God will give you um, freedom to do that. But Paul's saying, this isn't, I'm not expecting it, but that may be, some, be something that you as couples might want to serve God more on. Um, and it may well be, I just sense Holy Spirit been prodding me pr- 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 on this today. It may be, for some of you, it would be, if you want to get close to God together, that may be an option for you but don't make it three years. That's just, <laughs> right? But unfortunately, there's a culture in our land, because of the sexualization of our society, that sex is... There's more and more marriages that have sexless marriages, even amongst Christians. And I think this is very, very relevant to us, because of the pressures on us. The only biblical purpose for depriving yourselves of sex is to devote yourself to sharing a spiritual focus in your marriage. And there may be times when you both need to do this by mutual agreement. In a marriage where couples are no longer making love, Paul warns there is a growing danger. For the man, it's often linked to visual attraction, temptation. For the woman, it can be an emotional attraction not always uh, it's not it's not constant in this but there there are variations but what is constant the devil knows this and uses it to destroy marriages that's where paul said be careful be careful because the devil is alert to people's wiring a woman's wanting emotional security and tenderness and a man's Wired for visual. It's a hunter thing. Hunter-gatherer thing. So the danger of... And also, with a woman, it can be a danger of emotional attachment. So if your husband's away a lot, you've got to be careful. Because if there's another guy around, it can become an emotional attachment. If you're spending more time with that guy at work or in the staff room or whatever, and you feel he understands me more than my husband you're in danger. That's why husbands need to listen to their wives and to provide emotional support and emotional engagement to protect the wife. That makes sense? This is, this, is, this is life stuff, isn't it? This is real life stuff at Gateway. <laughs> and there's a danger of fantasy. Some women can be in love with love. The thought of being in love with love particularly around Valentine's Day and woe betide any man that forgets to give his wife a Valentine card. Many women find themselves dreaming of a romance that will solve all of their life's problems, if only. If only the man I married could be like him. (coughs) You know, real life is different to the chick flick. Do you know why it's different? Because it's real. It's real. When Isaac married Rebecca in the Old Testament, it said of Isaac, he married Rebecca, then he loved her. Oh, that's good. That is good. The loving starts when you get married, because you're going to need to love. (laughs) You're going to need to love when you, if you get married. And that's why Paul says, In this world you'll have. No, Jesus said, In this world you'll have many troubles. I'm sure he, was had, he had marriage in mind. But be a good cheer. You helped you overcome them. I'm paraphrasing it. Women are by far the largest consumers of chick flicks and romance novels. The love stories depicted on the big screen are all designed to stir up fantasy of emotions and be whisked off your feet. And normally there's chocolate involved in it and, uh, and pink hues. Projecting an image of life that is far removed from reality. Now fantasised romantic love stories are now being superseded by fantasised lust stories. God never intends that lasting sexual intimacy should be found in, what deb- in which debases and hum- humiliates another person. Having lots of fun making love, yes, but love does not debase or humiliate. And it's there now. It's there to try and get a higher sexual thrill. That's now happening. And there is a difference between love and lust. Lust is obsessed with the physical. Love takes time. Love love, um, is selfless. Lust is selfish. It thinks of only of self, not self giving. Lust is self serving. Love is self giving. That's why Jesus loved God loved the world. He loved it. He gave himself. Love gives. When you love another it's to it's a self giving. The most simplified way to define lust is to make it all about physical attraction. If you're in lust, you don't care about making the other person feel good or even how that person feels about you. When you love, you see the flaws and accept and even appreciate them. You want to know them on an emotional level. When you go out and do things together, you're proud to be with this person. You actually care about this person. When I got into cycling long distances my wife said well if you can't beat them join them so she bought Leica as well and um, she went we went on this our first trip in brittany and we did 360 miles in um, a week a week yeah 10 days was it and i remember going up this hill and uh, sue burst into tears she says, i can't do this anymore i can't do it and i said well learn to change gear then won't you <laughs> she was stuck she was peddling squares but Sue actually then because she loved me she wanted to do what I was doing and be with me in it she wasn't a cycling widow she engaged and I thought well you know that meant so much to me and then it's reciprocal yeah I do watch Downton Abbey Wallace <laughs> and Grummett smile here coming up now I quite like it really That's scary um but when you see the flaws, and you, you want to be with one another, there's a there's a great pop song out at the moment called um, I forget the name of it, but it is, there's, a, there's a line in it that I love your in, I love your perfect imperfections. That's fantastic, isn't it? I love yeah, you got perfect, imperfections. I know that I haven't, sweetheart, but I, um, you know, <laughs> but for the rest of you, you men, <laughs> your wife can say I love your perfect imperfections. My wife loves my jokes. She actually hates my jokes at the same time. So this is a dynamic relationship we have. But you actually care about this person. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. The Apostle John writes, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. I just want to say here, recognise where lust comes from. It is, it doesn't, lust doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from the Father. God, God sends his love. He never sends lust. So we need to look where roots of these things are from and build your life on what God is saying. And while many women are drawn to fantasized concept of romance... Men are drawn through the lust of the eyes. That is why porn, now at the click of a button, so easily sucks men into a fantasy world which is even more dangerous than romantic fantasy. Married men, as well. There's no distinction. Married men are just as vulnerable to porn as single men. So if you're thinking, well, if you're a single guy and you're thinking, well, if I get married, I won't have a problem with porn, it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Because men are hardwired visually. Emotional gratification is not unlike pornographic consumption. Yeah, emotional gratification is not unlike pornographic consumption in a few key ways. When men view pornography, they can develop an idealized relationship with a woman that departs from reality. That a woman is there to meet his every need, and she's not going to get tired in the process. Studies have shown that when men who view pornography, they can, be, they can bond with that fantasy woman. And porn also triggers the release of a dopamine into the brain, a hormone which influences the pleasure sensors in the brain. Over time, these dopamine sensors become dull by excessive production. Gradually, men require increased stimulation to achieve the same effect. That's dangerous. The Lord said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7, If you do what is right, Cain, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you, do, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you. But he said to him, but you must overcome it. You overcome it. There's a battle for you, Cain. Sin is, is crouching at the door. You must overcome it. Now, some women would be um, would get into porn. It's not. I'm not stereotyping it. I'm just trying to paint broad brushstrokes here. And any man can be vulnerable to being sucked in to porn. But how can men break its power? And we're going to watch a, a, a video now um, of, a, of a very famous man, very, very, very famous Christian, who. Really helps articulate well how he how he has broken free from porn addiction. Just recapping that, he found real freedom when he realised it wasn't about trying harder, but recognising he was hurting the father's heart. And that's the same of overcoming any sin, that when we do sin, whatever it is, we're, we're breaking the Father's heart. It's to do with the relationship with our Father, and we say, no, our Father God, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it wasn't just for our sins generally, It was for specific sins committed, including watching and reading porn. The cross says so much, but in the the many ways it declares that it is for for all those who repent and turn away from their sins, there is not only forgiveness to be experienced, there is the removal of guilty conscience and a deep peace to be enjoyed and confidence before the throne of grace. Isn't that wonderful? We have confidence before the throne of grace when we really get sorted out with God on these issues. Um, the Apostle John, in um, the first letter of John, chapter three, twenty-one, he says this: "Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Does your heart condemn you on this? Well, get sorted out. Recognise you're breaking the Father's heart and stop it." I'm reading through Thessalonians, um, a chapter a day at the moment. I, the other week, sorry, the other day, um, I came to this in. in Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord, Jesus, as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are now doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honour. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it's beautiful. Paul concludes uh, that God would sanctify you through and through. <laughs> have you been sanctified through and through on this one? Has it, uh, has, uh, have you done business with God? Sanctified through and through. That's God's heart for you. Church, be sanctified through and through. And when a man stops loving his wife physically and retreats into a lonely world of self-stimulation something precious is lost A healthy relationship must be rooted in reality and in truth Relationship built on fantasy relationships built on fantasy have, have an unstable foundation that can only spell disaster I can't compete with Daniel Craig do you know, even if I bought the 007 swimming trunks and I come out of the wall, I just can't compete with him. I thank God for my wife, who loves me for who I am, for better or for worse, and it's often worse, for richer and for poorer, and in sickness and in health. That's what she promised to do, and she does it, and I'm so glad I'm married to my wife. For men or women who have multiple sexual partners before getting married, the marriage bed can be a bit of a disappointment. Gone is a fission of the chase, the lust of the physical attraction. Now it's the same guy every day and every night and he's getting older and a bit fatter. And you know what? When you look in the mirror, you're getting a bit older too. It's got to be based in something... More than just physical attraction. It's deeper than that. Husbands, love your wives. I'll have to say, I've only heard it on hearsay though, but some people are in the early 60s, their sex life is better than any time in their married life. It gets better. But that's just hearsay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting into trouble here. But those who have waited until they get married, researchers found that couples who have, have they have a far healthier and enjoyable sex life by waiting. We had to wait an extra two and a half years before we got married. We planned to have the marriage marriage got it all sorted out, um, but then the Bible College where I was at, um, because their policy was no marriage while you're in, in college, we were going to be the first people to get married in in, in the college. Then um, I got a phone call saying they've changed the, the, the board. Said we've changed our mind. You've got to wait another two year, two and a half years. That's difficult. That was difficult because to stay pure, an extra two and a half years. I mean, I was smoking. I mean, I was on fire. And to tell Sue, I on the phone, "We've got to wait another two and a half years." But we did it because God gave us a, gave us a grace to remain single for those two and a half years. We had our wedding night, marriage night. You know, in all our secrets, we went to Buxton, and there was two. This is a week before Christmas. As soon as I got um, commissioned as an evangelist, um, first Saturday I was there, Matt, and uh, two couples in a big hotel, a week before Christmas, and us and another honeymoon couple. So we had waited two and a half years. I mean, we were ready to consummate. This is all biblical. It's all good. it's okay. Don't you look worried? And uh, we got down by the side of the bed and we prayed. We prayed. We said, Thank you, Lord, for keeping us. And we said, Now for what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. Off nine at night, a phone call from the receptionist. She says, The other honeymoon couple want to speak with you. And we said, You're joking. You're joking. This is a setup. We said, No, it really is. The other, other honeymoon couple want to speak to you. So I said, Okay. Put them on. This guy said, We're a bit bored. Do you want to come out for a drink? I kid you not? Now what does that say? What does that say? It says a lot. Teach this stuff to your children you speak it to single people. It's best to wait in every if you want to have a great physical marriage on the physical side, wait, it's better. We're a bit bored. Do you want to come out for a drink on their wedding night? I said, no, I'm watching Match of the Day. (laughs) (laughs) Back of the net. (laughs) It's good to enjoy life together, isn't it? Then Paul concludes, um, sometimes I wish everyone was single like me. A A simpler life in many ways. And I tell you, it is. It's a simpler life. If you're not married, you've got, you, you don't have a lot of challenges that you will have when you get married. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriages. God gives the gift of single life to some, the gift of married life to others. And you've got that gift of singleness until you get married. If you should decide to get married and God brings that other person along. Ed Shaw, you most probably haven't heard of Ed Shaw. But Ed Shaw, he, he runs a church, in, he leads a church in Bristol. He's written a book called The Plausibility Problem, The Church and Same-Sex Attraction. He honestly has come, come out and said, I am uh, same-sex attracted. That, that was, that's where his challenge in life is. The church know it. They, pro- they help him through that, provide good emotional friendships around, around for him, people take him on holiday. He served that church well in authenticity, but he said, if a certain guy walked into a room, I will become vulnerable. He makes himself accountable. And he said, I make myself more accountable walking through my challenges than a lot of men do with their ch- other men do, who aren't same-sex attracted, with their challenges I think this guy is very brave Um, he he remains single he remains chaste because of his love for God knowing that it's momentary and one day he'll have all the joy of intimacy with God that marriage could never provide fabulous book and he said why don't we preach ever preach in churches about the joy of the celibacy in the single life live for God, great book great, great book but we're going to conclude now by um, watching a video of one of my heroes, he doesn't even know me, but for me he's uh, um, he's one of the best Christian leaders going um, he ministers all over the world and he's a single guy and he's a guy called Mike Pilavachi and he's, he's going to speak for two or three minutes before we close just on single life for him, serving God to the full. If you're single, whether your husband's died or looking to get married or divorced, catch this guy's heart for God. This guy models living for God as a single person in a fantastic way. Okay. Fantastic, isn't it? Fantastic. So, going back to the beginning... I believe as a church, there's 300 of us now, and we all get gathering together. I think we're on, on the verge of a, a new season in this church's life. I think we are going to be seeing wondrous things amongst us, supernatural things. And I know with all my heart, God is saying, sanctify yourselves, because I'm going to do great things amongst you. We just pray. Father we love you we love you've called us Lord we thank you for Jesus' perfect life recognising our imperfections Lord but we thank you that you love us and you've called us and we thank you for the cross we thank you there's more to you yet to discover and we pray right across the church in this day Lord there'll be people making one decision after another to follow you to sanctify themselves whatever it is where they need to let go of wrong attitude or whatever lord that we may see your kingdom come it won't just be a song that we love singing we do love singing it but lord it would be a current experience that you would break out amongst us because you found vessels that have been cleansed and ready for your greater purposes amen thank you so much not been easy um, but i hope you found it helpful thank you